Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio. Very excited to be here, December 4th, 2020. Joining me as a co-host, Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. And we have wonderful guests today. Thank you and welcome to both Kim and Dorenda from the Pink House Defenders in Mississippi. Hello. Hello. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Jesse. It's great to see you both and to hear your voices. So we learned about you from following you on Instagram. You are doing amazing work helping people get access to abortion. And we haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about what it's like for someone who's got to get themselves from their personal space into the doors of a clinic when there's a mountain of negative energy with people organized to not let them go peacefully. So we would love to just start with how you got started. Why, why the name Pink House Defenders? The clinic is Jackson Women's Health Organization. And in 2013, Diane said, you know, I'm tired of hiding in the shadows. Diane's our owner. She said, I'm tired of hiding in the shadows. She said, women shouldn't have to be ashamed of where they're going. So she painted the clinic a very bright, we call it Pepto-Bismol pink, so that it stands out and everybody can see it. Because, you know, abortion clinics kind of try to not be in the limelight for obvious reasons but the anti-choice protesters are gonna find you anyway, so why not? <laughs> so the, in 2013, the clinic had a Roe v. Wade celebration. And from that day, um, the feminist majority was there and asked if anyone wanted to escort. And that's when, you know, the, that's when we started. So we've been around for about eight years now. And because the building is so bright pink and we are actually there to defend the patients, that's kind of where the Pink House Defenders came in. To say like seeing the bright, cheerful vest really, uh, it, it visually right away gives you this new frame of reference. It's amazing. And I've got to think that for people coming in, once they can see you, they can't miss you. <laughs> we can thank the Clinic Vest Project out of Chicago for those. They provide vests, you know, to clinics across the nation. And that's Benita and company. <laughs> and how long have you both been there? Kim, did you start at the same time in 2013? I actually did not. I came in in uh, February of 2017. They held a call for new escorts after Trump was elected in that we all had a feeling that things were going to go even more downhill than they already were. So they had a call and I and my husband went to that and I've been there since then. Collectively, you've got quite a number of years of experience under your belt. Let's just talk about what is like a typical week like. Do you have one shift? Do you take turns? And how many people help participate? Generally, we see patients at the clinic. The clinic is open six days a week. However, patients are only seen two and a half generally because we have to fly doctors in to see them. And we have to have OBGYNs, the state's mandate, the state mandates that they be OBGYNs and nothing else. We are there two and a half days a week. Dorinda and myself are there all, all of those days, most of the time. And then we have a crew of various other people that come in and volunteer with us during that time. And we have uh, patient times during those times. So you have them all come in and then there's a big gap where there's no patients present. So there's a lot of time to sit there and look at antis. And doing some research, I've seen some video footage from antis yeah. who clearly make it like a sport or a personal mm -hmm. challenge mm -hmm. to figure out how to come and give the most difficult, unpleasant ex exchange of humanity possible. 
right? Yes. You name it. Bullhorns, ladders to see over the privacy yes. fence. Uh, Children. 100 watt speakers. Yeah. <laughs> Children. I was also reading that there was a uh, last year an effort to actually control some of that noise. It sounds like the neighborhood is a really nice neighborhood with other small shops and businesses nearby, like it the is. kind of place a visitor would want to go hang out. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so it's, can you talk us through a little bit about mm -hmm. the evolution of that ordinance? It sounded like a great idea. Well, <laughs> well you want to do that or you want me to do that? Go ahead. It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like an interesting idea. You know, we were told, hey, they're going to pass a buffer zone ordinance, basically, an ordinance prohibiting certain activities near healthcare facilities. We were like, oh, well, that sounds lovely. And it was a three-pronged ordinance. You couldn't have amplified sound within 100 feet of the property line. You couldn't have them... Um, picketing and having their signs and their pamphlets being handed out within 15 feet of the entrance, which was the driveway basically. And then you couldn't, within a hundred feet of the property, or no, at the entrance, I believe, you had a floating eight foot buffer zone, which required consent to approach, which all three of these are in place in some place or another in America and have passed scrutiny in the courts. It was introduced October the 1st, 2019. It was passed. It went into effect October 31st, 2019. And it was never enforced, ever, ever, until, was it November, November the 12th? 12th. We this had, year, 2020. Yes, this year. We had one gentleman that decided it was just the most inane thing. And we're talking about bullhorns. The city did everything they could to not enforce it, basically. They gave two warnings. They looked the other way. They drove by. I mean, they just did everything they possibly. There, there are, there's a whole lot of backstory here that people, we, we would need a whole other podcast. <laughs> and I mean, literally, that just people do not understand the deep pockets and lawyers that these people have. We, we can talk about that but our city has been bullied by these people and other cities, but ours especially because ours is very poor. The, you know, they have bullied our city into a position where the city was just like, because of suits that have been filed against it pretty much immediately upon it being enacted. So they did nothing, but this one gentleman and his wife, I, he called the police on an, one of our escorts for blowing bubbles. And um, he called them. This is classic antis being antis. And the police person came out and she looked at the video and said, sir, you could have walked away from her. It just inane stuff. And then she looked down and she looked at him and his wife and y'all are in the buffer zone. Well, do y'all need, looked at us and said, do y'all need somebody for that? And we just looked at her like, uh that'd well, be nice <laughs> uh okay sure okay we were just flabbergasted and so she sent a supervisor over and he proceeded to tell them to get out of the boat and we were just taken back like what's happening right now and after so this a year. <laughs> yeah, after a whole year this is what was going to get enforced and we were just like what's happening right now and the, and the anti stood there and said well i guess i'm just going to let you arrest me I mean, literally, that was what was said. I'm going to let you arrest me. 
And we just looked at each other. It's like, of course you are, you know, <laughs> you're going to let him arrest you. So and it was a field release. It's not like a real arrest. Is that nobody went to jail, but just, yeah, you know, just a little ticket, but it was just like, and literally on the 16th, it was repealed of November. Four days later. Four days later. On the 16th, Monday, it was repealed. Wow. It's still in court. Oh, there's even more inane shenanigans going on with that right now, but we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. And we understand, you know, the state is controlled by a Republican legislature, but that your city council is Democrats mostly. So it, I thought that was more surprising, but maybe not. The, the Democrats aren't, aren't what real Democrats. No, no, no. Down here, that, that means nothing. It's not always just so you know, up here too, we, we're in this legislation, we're in the middle of, there's there's a, a woman who calls herself a Democrat who is, mm -hmm. she has a lot of really negative things to say about women's reproductive health. So i surprised yeah. having that come out of a Democrat. So maybe maybe yours and our, that one woman are in the same party. <laughs> yeah, no. All of ours. <laughs> yeah, well, like next door in Louisiana, we have John Bell Edwards, who's, you know, a quote unquote pro-life Democrat. So, and down south, Democrats are not general. I'm being very general here. There are some that, that do appropriately Democrat, but most of them, not so much. <laughs> so this makes it more, I think, amazing that you get up and go to work every day there mm -hmm. as volunteers, you know, that you're yeah. out there and you're doing this because it's not like you're seeing any light at the end of this tunnel. Nope. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> So, so it's a train. <laughs> and you've also then both been involved long enough to have the clinics reduce in number to the point where there's literally only one in the state. It means how far away are people traveling from? You know, what's the longest distance someone has to travel? A lot of times if they drive for four hours. I mean, um, we do have clinics that, you know, depending on where you are in our state, it's about the same distance to New Orleans as it is to us. So, you know, you can go to Tuscaloosa and Alabama. So, you know, but depending on where you are in the state to the nearest clinic, it's going to be three to four hours. I mean, you can. And that's, and that's each way and at least two trips because yeah. we have the 24 hour waiting period. And, and you can there, you can be in Mississippi and you can go to another clinic and we serve the surrounding states too, be in the Yolen Clinic here. However, like, like, but in North Mississippi, you can, Memphis is closer, but it's so far, uh, you better, you better plan real well because that appointment's going to be way far out. You're going to be in weeks. I mean, you, yeah, it, it takes a while to get that appointment at Choices or wherever you go in Memphis. You and know? even we're backed up these days. Yeah. I mean, pre-COVID, we generally could give you appointment at the latest the next week and sometimes even here you have to wait two weeks mm -hmm. it is really I, I, there's so many adjectives I want to it is sad what they've done to access I mean they're they're achieving the goal so now that we're talking about COVID so how things have changed now that we are living in this situation are people more more aware are they taking more precautions? Are they taking longer time to get there? Precautions in Mississippi are kind of, it's, it's very separate here. The people who 
you know, really careful to distance, wear masks, da da da. And what we like to call the open Mississippi people, <laughs> the right wing crazies that, you know, practically make fun of people for wearing masks and everything else. So it, it's very divided. Um, you know, the clinic has taken tons of precautions. We do a lot more than we used to do, trying to help the, you know, the flow of clinic yeah, patients going into the clinic. We kind of take care of that now on the outside because it's a very limited number of folks that can go in at a time. So yeah, there's, there's so much more to it, but the state overall, we have no mask man, we have some county mask mandates, but no statewide mask mandates. It's, we're not doing okay, so, do. and And the, the need is, has it grown or has it uh, decreased? The need for an abortion, the need for the clinic, I, I mean, personally feel like people, it's increased. It, it has increased. Okay. I feel like it has. Yeah. I we think see a lot more people. And I, it's, I see, it seems like we're seeing, a, unfortunately, a lot more travelers. Yeah. Almost. You know, we're seeing a lot more from our surrounding areas, it seems like. I'm not that I mean that's anecdotal we're just there it's not like we're keeping track but it just seems like we we see a lot of people well, yeah I mean we're seeing more because like I said we're backed up two weeks a lot of the time and that's like a year or two years ago you could call and possibly get an appointment the same week for sure the next week and now not and I mean I can't tell you the reasoning for that if I were of reproductive age I'd know the reasoning for it Oh, hell no, I'm not going to have a kid in this disaster area, but, yeah. you know, we don't know the patients. But also, I mean, they're probably trying to, you know, keep the space, you know, that they're only having so many at one time in the building and all that. They're having to keep that in mind, too, and everybody else is, too. All of the other clinics, there are a limited number of clinics. If you think about the southeast, the deep south, how many clinics are there in Massachusetts? Do you know? Way more than one. In the four, five state area, I can count on one hand in four states, just about. I mean, we have Birmingham, uh, Tuscaloosa, Huntsville, that's Alabama, I'm not counting. And Montgomery. Years. And Montgomery. Then us, then three in Louisiana. We're gonna say one in, in Arkansas because you know what's happening over there. And then the, we're, we're talking states here. Detroit, yeah, Detroit has more than we do in states. So that's what we're having to deal with down here. And plus they're having to social distance these appointments. Plus we can't have local doctors, plus all of this other mess going on. So access is curtailed as a matter of fact. And then you have a pandemic on top of it. And the bottom line is underneath all of this is really just controlling pregnant people, predominantly women, but anyone of any gender who's pregnant. Correct. But let's talk about women for the moment, in, in, including and, and then when you look at COVID, we know that in the pandemic, we know that women who are in abusive physical relationships are more trapped than ever. People yeah. are losing their jobs. They don't have secure housing. If they have children already, which so many women who need to get an abortion already have kids, if they've lost their health insurance, don't have a job, they're food insecure and they're housing insecure. If they are with a partner who's abusive, it can be even more difficult for someone to leave. Yes. Right. Yes. And it's, it's scary and it's, it's really hard. So under those circumstances, mm -hmm. like you were saying, Dorinda, 
very hard to picture how someone's going to feel like they are safe carrying through the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. All these barriers are Mm -hmm. really about ultimately controlling women and and leaving them living in fear and intimidation, which brings us right to your sidewalk setting. Mm -hmm. The the prime tool I'm hearing you say are Mm -hmm. horns, yelling, shouting, and it sounds like getting up really close to people, which we can see in some of your videos, hard to tell how close they are. Maybe you can just share a taste of what kinds of things you've had to absorb. You can see in the videos, people can watch mm-hmm. them. If you just look it up online, it's like a lot of uh, religious arguments, debating, banter, mm-hmm. signs, horrible signs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's all relatively religious. You're basically, women are demonized as mainly women in our area, all pregnant people are demonized as murderers, period. Providers are murderers. Everybody's a murderer. Everybody's going to hell. Repent or perish. That's the bottom line. And there's a good bit of shame thrown in there too. Um, You murder your baby or regret it forever. You'll be changed forever. Regret, regret, regret. Even if you don't have any, they're going to implant some. You should have some. What's wrong with you? So it's just, and it, it can be close. The other day we had people walking up the street with some repeatedly. It's very uncomfortable. It should not be this way to have to have people to walk you from your car to the clinic door to feel safe. It should not be this way. The, the fact that our culture just looks the other way and allows this is, is shameful. They'll stop cars as they'll do everything they possibly can to stop cars when they're trying to pull in the driveway. And they get them to roll their window down because as Kim always says, People in Mississippi are just too nice and they feel like, oh, well, I need to see what they want. And they'll stick their head practically in the patient's cars. And these people, we probably have four antis out of a couple of hundred that wear masks. They're not wearing masks. And, you know, it's just in Mississippi, people don't even think about it that much. And one of the things we yell from, they're not with the clinic. They don't have a mask on. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to just really point these things out to people because they're too they're, nice. They they're too nice. And they're already stop. thinking about so many things. They're already yeah. thinking. The other day I did this. I was walking down the street because I'd already been stopped by somebody that was lying to them with a sign about stop here for a bag for clinic patients. And then another one stopped them that didn't have a mask on a little had ankle length skirt, little religious girl, had no mask on. They rolled the window down. They didn't have their mask on either. And I said, I did this and said, she doesn't have a mask on. So they put theirs on. And I'm like, no, that's not what I meant. (laughs) But they're already thinking, they've already traveled three hours. They're already thinking about all this stuff. I finally made it here. Now, what is all this madness? I got to think about all these things and who are you? And eventually they make it in and I'm like, hi, you made it. I'm with the clinic and I'm going to tell you how all this is working. Okay. That person's not with the clinic. They're not going to come in here and all, you know, when they finally make it in, we finally have to run it all down for them. This is how it all works. That's my goal. Once they make it to me is to inform them of the playing field they're now on so they can make informed decisions about what's happening out here. They can know they can't come in here. You don't have to listen to them, talk to them, or take anything they're handing or telling you because they will. You've got to tell people, it, or they will. They'll sit there and listen to them because they think they deserve that. They think they have to take these things from people. They think they have to be nice to them. No, you don't. They didn't come here to be nice to you. 
You don't have to do anything like that, but they will if you don't give them permission. So the people that are on their way in are already just so overwhelmed by the whole thing. And, you know, some, not everybody, some folks are like, whatever, I don't care, you know, but a lot of them, it's just, it's so much going on. How do you manage day to day? Like, um, how do you make it work? Uh, uh, you said that you are on two day shifts? Two and a half days. Yeah. We, we have, I guess so it's are four you by yourself or how many how many persons are there they come and go um like almost everyone in mississippi works so people sometimes come before work they'll come on their days off a lot of people come for an hour some people come for a couple hours and since covid we're having a really hard time getting people out there it's mm -hmm. been tough there's so much so much more to it. Yeah, it's completely understandable. We've had, you know, people, high risk people, you know, people have had underlying illnesses, people of age, you know, different things like that, that just are not able to come out due to risk factors and stuff. So we lost a whole lot of our crew when COVID came on. And it was hard enough to have a crew before COVID. I can imagine. And the thing that it's mind blowing is that people who want to help can don't go because they are thinking about COVID, but the other people that are horrible and not trying to help, they're there and also maskless and mm -hmm. just making life miserable for everybody. I mean, mm -hmm. how miserable can you be? How, how horrible is your heart that you have to do that? Mm -hmm. I, I, the thing mm -hmm. is, it's, it's in the South for some time. I don't understand. But like they say down in the South, bless their little heart. Mm -hmm. Bless their <laughs> if, heart. If only they had one. If only exactly. they had yes. one. That's the, the shameful part. These folks, they claim to be representing this, this deity of love and, and forgiveness when they show neither. They show neither. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. No, they're putting people at risk. Now, mm -hmm. we're pretty far away, but I know that as people learn more, and the fact that you documented, mm -hmm. like and the Instagram, for people listening, mm -hmm. go look at the Pink House Defenders Instagram because you can follow, and it's incredible because you're also helping document historically what this mm -hmm. harassment is like and the fact that it's unchecked, mm -hmm. that nobody in law enforcement is doing anything about it. Yeah. So how can people help, How you know, if we can't get there, what can we do to be helpful? We actually, that's one of our goals. The Pink House Defenders is a vehicle to document this, to show people what is happening outside of clinics and what access looks like for real. People need to know this is what people encounter outside of a clinic. And it's shameful that people are subjected to this in the name of free speech and First Amendment rights. It has been perverted to this. Um, we have a nonprofit called We Engage, and you can look us up on Instagram as well as We Engage for Good, and you can donate there. We, we support the Pink House Defenders and all of that effort to make people increasingly aware of the things that are happening outside of clinics and how it affects access, and we work to, to move from the shame and lies of their propaganda from the sidewalks to uh, to destigmatize abortion because that's what's driving it all. 
you know, their lies from the sidewalks have, have created this stigma to where people are out there doing this. And, you know, baby murder has now become common lexicon from just the general public. I mean, it just is. That's just what they've turned it into. And it is just a falsehood, a, a flat out lie that the public has been sold. And it's unfortunate they bought into it. So we need to we need to change the entire conversation around abortion. But in order to do that, people have to first say the A word. And we're not able, even supporters, our people, our people have a hard time saying the A word. We all know it. We all know it. Did you see the Democratic National Convention? <laughs> Did we see it? So we have to do a lot of work over here to do a lot of work over there. So that's help us do that. But it, but those are our sites. We're also on Facebook. Our website is uh, weengage.org. You can donate there and you can go there, see, you know, see what we're doing there. Instagram, Facebook, we're everywhere, all the places, Twitter, even we're even on Twitter. We tweet occasionally. So we're well, doing all the things. You're both amazing for what you're doing. We appreciate learning much more about it. I know people will want to be able to help. Thank you for spending time with us. And we would love to circle back with you in a couple of months and check in and see how things are going. Thank you so much for having us. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank, thank you. So you. It was great. Appreciate it.